Hey everybody, this is Brent Watkinson with Everyday Artist. My guest is Gina Cunningham. Gina has been a dental hygienist for about 15 years, give or take. She has been in several different offices and has traveled around the country taking extensive continuing education seminars and knows a lot about the fine art of dental hygiene. Gina has taken the time to go above and beyond the ordinary and perhaps achieve the extraordinary in her practice. She does a lot of things that she has learned from others and she's constantly the student. She is always trying to get better to give the best possible patient experience. You will hear the compassion and the passion in her voice. Her empathy is rampant. She is constantly communicating with her patients to make sure that they're comfortable and they're having the best possible experience. Her information and anecdotes were fascinating to me and I certainly feel like I have a much better look at the inside of this business. Let's give a listen to Gina Cunningham. Let's get into it. How does one become a dental hygienist and why? Why do you do this and how did you get to do it? Um, well, my, my mother asked me what I was going to do with the rest of my life when I was in high school. And of course I had no idea. So she was a dental assistant at the time and she mentioned being a dental hygienist. What's so. the difference between a dental hygienist and a dental assistant? Um, there's many differences. The dental assistant works directly with the doctor in procedures. And so they have a lot of tasks that they have to know how to do depending on the procedure. And there's many different ones. And then a dental hygienist, we are removing biofilm, plaque, calculus, tartar from the teeth um, to preserve the gums and the teeth to make you your periodontal situation healthy. Periodontal meaning gums. Gums and teeth, yes. To, okay. So you can keep your teeth for the rest of your life. That is our goal as a hygienist. Okay, so you kind of followed in your mother's footsteps into Being the... Being into dentistry, yes. I okay. would not be here if it wasn't for her. You decided you wanted to be a dental hygienist. Now what? What happens? You have to try to get into dental hygiene school after that. Um, there's prerequisites that they require, so you have to go. I went to college to take those courses so I could apply to dental hygiene school, and it might be a little different now, I'm not exactly sure, but this was you know, almost 20 years ago. So um, I only applied to one school uh, my first time applying, and I, I think there was a few hundred applicants, um, 65, were interviewed. I made the interview process, but then I didn't make the final cut, which was 28. So it was really competitive then. Um, so I thought my life was over and my mom talked me off a ledge. And so I just went to school for another year, got more prerequisites and applied to more dental hygiene schools. I got into two or three that year. I wanted to go to Johnson County and that's where I ended up going. So what kind of prerequisites, I can't even say the word, uh, like anatomy or anatomy, biology, chemistry? Yep, you're exactly right. Microbiology, chemistry, um, a couple math classes. Um, I don't remember all of them at this point, but in different schools require different prerequisites. Like UMKC actually requires, I think, 64 credits and your associates in science before you can even apply to their program but their program's a little bit different than Johnson County's but I ended up going with Johnson County so you went through that process mm -hmm. and with a little bit of discouragement but evidently <laughs> you but it had, couldn't keep me back well that, that's my point you had this plan and this thought and I want to do this yep. and even after I would call that a major setback I mean that's a year of rethinking everything do you really want to do this etc cetera, etc cetera. Did you get encouragement from your family? I did, and we just tried to be optimistic 
and we would deal with if I didn't get in the second time when it happened. Um, but then once I spoke to my classmates, they said about half of them were on their second time. So a lot of people don't get in their first time. So that made me feel better. Yeah, so. but what was that year like? How did you, was it day to day? No, not really. I tried to stay positive and just focus on the classes that I was taking at the time. And I think that I just assumed surely I would get into one of the four schools that I applied to the second round instead of just applying to one school. How much did you not learn in the school that you learned when you started working? That's kind of a difficult question. I learned everything that I needed to know clinically, skill-wise, um, to be a good hygienist. And then I was fortunate enough to get to train with some other people. That On the job? My second job was with Dr. Beckett at Sunflower Dental. It was an amazing experience. They really emphasized continuing education. Um, and really wanted people to advance at their position. So I was fortunate enough to be in that practice at the time and they saw my desire to be better and I just was kind of a sponge and I wanted to learn. I was only a year a year out of school. So we went to seminars kind of all over the country. I got to train with Pat Wooster and her credentials are pretty extensive. She's an international speaker, writer, she practices dental hygiene all over the United States and Canada. Um, she's been, she has many awards and I got to actually clinically train with her one-on-one -on -one in Fort Lauderdale. And just one, I think only 10 people at a time get to go with her. So it's, it's really specialized and how, that was wonderful. How much time did you spend with her? Was it a week, a um, day? Three days, oh. I think the seminar was. And she was right over our shoulder, kind of guiding us through. Um, some patients that had very advanced periodontal disease, things that you might not see every day at your office. So that was very helpful. I think it actually changed my skill set quite a bit. And you were quite young at that time. I you was. I was actually, I got some minor award at the, one of her seminars for being the youngest hygienist there or with the least amount of experience. And I was told that my doctor must really think something of me to invest his money and his time into sending me to this training. So I think that, that is a good word, invest. I think he did invest in you. I'm very grateful for that investment. Looking back, I probably wasn't as grateful then as I am now because I didn't really, I probably didn't realize how valuable it really was. I, de I definitely did value it, but now I realize how much it did change and how much of a difference it made in my skills. You go to school and you learn <clears throat> ABC one, two, three. Now you have the physical qualifications of doing dental hygiene work. Then you go to Florida with one of your idols. <laughs> right. So what kind of information? What, why is she so smart? How come she got you to the next level? She got me to the next level by just one of the things that I tell people about that is really specialized is we were working on a patient and they had severe periodontal disease. So hygienists are usually working blind. You're under the gum tissue and you don't have a good field of vision. It's all by tactile sensitivity. You know what's supposed to be there. You know what's not supposed to be there. So you have to remove what's not supposed to be there to help the patient be healthier. And you're doing this completely by touch. By feel. And you have to know the anatomy of that tooth that you're working on because all of the anatomy of the teeth are a little bit different. They have different grooves, different number of roots, stuff like that. So, From patient to patient or tooth to tooth? Tooth like, to tooth. Like my canine has a certain anatomy as a compared to an incisor or something. Most everybody's teeth can be a little bit different, but um, like a first molar has a groove on one side of it. And typically everyone's first molar on the top, the maxilla will have that groove, things like that. So okay. mostly just that tooth is going to be that tooth. It can vary from patient to patient a little bit. So tell me this doctor's name again <clears throat> that you studied with. Um, she's actually um, a hygienist. Okay. But Pat Wooster. Now, did she work on your mental game as well? She did. And she really just gets you excited. She understood my passion for dentistry. As I told her about one of my patients at one of her seminars at, during break, 
Mm-hmm. And she went back into the room and told the whole class about it, <laughs> which it was it kind of made me, t- I was turned red a little bit, but it was really cool that she thought my story was that amazing because I really do have a passion for my patients and taking the best care of them that I can. So we always have, I have a joke, you know, we're just saving the world one tooth at a time. That's all you can do. <laughs> so looking back at your childhood or your formative years, what kind of a person were you? And I'm really dying to ask you if you were a nerd, but I'll, I'll oh, pull man. up short of that. You tell well, me. I, I was a very quiet, shy person, and but a lot of people probably wouldn't know that about me. But um, I was, I guess I was kind of a jock. I played every sport under the sun and um, was decent at most of them. Was up for homecoming, didn't win, but I was up for homecoming, you know. Um, I liked high school for the most part. It was fun. Just, I always was playing sports and working, you know. We had the dairy farm when I was little, and then my parents always expected me to work, which I think is great. So I was waitressing when I wasn't at practice for some sport or at school. And my dad always jokes, he's like, you must be a genius, but I'm, I'm definitely not. But he's like, I don't ever remember seeing you study. And I was like, I don't think I did. I just absorb information by listening. I can remember almost everything. And I remember what patients' mouths look like. It's so funny with the phone rings in the office and they said, this patient called and I said, is it about their lower right tooth? Cause I bet it's, this, or the upper right or the lower left. And everyone thinks I have a crazy memory, which I do. I just, I have, I really connect with every single patient that I have. Everyone is very special and important to me. So. Well, obviously. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, you made your case. Yeah. I, I believe you. I'm going to go back to the the other question. Yeah. Um, I kind of. Well, no, no. Uh, were you a nerd also? Were you kind of nerdy as? I think I had that side to me. I'm that arty, nerdy side a little bit, but I just didn't. I didn't take any art classes. I wish I did because I also play the trumpet. So, you know, band isn't always viewed as the coolest thing in the world, but I think it's cool. Um, it's and I, very cool. It is cool. I played the <laughs> piano. I did, I loved art, so I had, I kind of had friends in different circles in different groups because there was all these different sides of me, but yeah. So you've done a lot of different creative things. What creative things do you do now? I don't know how creative I am now. In my spare time, I like to do paintings. It's just, I get in a mood and I like to paint and it might be, I try to replicate something I see. I like to use ocean sponges. Um, to make texture paintings. I like to do calligraphy. I don't do much of it, but my mother vaguely taught me how to do it when I was younger. So those are, I do have my artistic side, but I don't dabble in it too much. Do you cook? I do. I guess that's artistic, isn't I, it? I Absolutely. guess you like to cook. I, mean, <laughs> I, you, I love to cook. Okay. Well, Chad always, th- you know. I think that's very creative. <laughs> he tells me I do a good job, so it's fun to cook for him. And I do like, I do enjoy it. It's, I think it's more fun and more enjoyable to cook for someone who appreciates your cooking. So. And Chad is your significant other. He is. And uh, just as a shout out, tell us what he is re-involved in right now. He is doing BMX racing and kind of started basically at, 42 years old, which a lot of people think he's crazy, but he's doing really well. So it's been great. Well, I've seen his trophies. Yes. Um, Our mantle is full of trophies right now. On social media. So evidently (laughs) he's doing something correctly. Well, and you have to cook, you know, all these great meals to, to, you know, fuel fuel the, the BMX are in him. Right. What type of creativity is there in being a dental hygienist? Do you ever get in a situation where you've got to think on your feet and say, okay, well, this isn't, you know, by the book. I'm going to have to figure out a way around this or something. There's, there's lots of cases I think that come in and aren't just straightforward because there's so many things about the body that affect what's going on in the mouth. So it might not just be this. There's so many variables that you kind of do have to be on your feet, thinking, figuring out why is this happening to this patient. Um, For example, I had a patient, um, I was pretty new out of school, I think two years, and he came in for an emergency. He had a lot of swelling, like in his lymph nodes area, his neck. 
he was also having a lot of mobility with his teeth. He was losing his teeth. He was having pain and swelling. Having he, mobility with his teeth. Does that mean they were loose? loose? Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Sorry for no, that's, my dental term. No, I love the vocabulary. <laughs> Keep it up and I will just ask questions okay. when I need to. All right. So he had had prior treatment where his teeth should have been stable, where the mobility shouldn't be there anymore. So we had to figure out why. And to me, I don't know why. I guess it was it was obvious to me. I asked him when he had been to uh, his primary care physician last, and he jokingly laughed and said, probably about 30 years. So <laughs> I told him, he didn't believe me, but I had um, a hunch that he might be diabetic. And he said, oh no, I'm not diabetic. And I said, okay, well, amused, just amuse me and go to your doctor just get some standard blood work you know you probably should need that to be done anyway since it's been 30 years and we're going to retreat we're going to do the deep cleaning which is more of the layman's term but the scaling and root planing which some people are familiar with even if you're not dental but we needed to redo that and we were going to save his teeth came up with a plan of action scheduled he left he came back he had gone to his doctor and he laughed sat down in my chair and he said, you're never going to guess. And I said, what? Of course, he's diabetic. So once we got his blood sugar under control, um, retreated his teeth, and he was my patient probably for the next 10 years after that, even when I wasn't at that practice. And I think we only lost one more tooth after that, but it was always a, it was already a very compromised tooth. So we he was able to keep his teeth. And he jokingly says that I saved his life by making him go to the doctor because I thought his tissue was presenting as diabetic and his numbers were out of control. So stuff now, like that is where, cool. It's very cool. Where did you learn that X, Y, and Z happening in the mouth may lead to a diagnosis of something else? In I'm, school. Okay. We had one or two professors that, um, Mrs. Stabby, Miss Stabby, sorry, Miss Stabby, um, she was one who I always remember really pushing to look at the tissue. Um, you can tell if people are pregnant, diabetic. Um, there's just a number of things that present first so in the you mouth. So you can look in some patient's mouth and think, uh-huh, It's you possible. May be pregnant. Not every person would present like that, but it's possible that that could show up in the gum tissue. How would it so. manifest itself physically that this patient is pregnant? Um, I think it depends on a lot of the hormone fluctuation. Sometimes it just has to be the perfect storm with a lot of other things going on in, the, in that patient to make it present in the gum tissue. But a lot of things do. Um, a lot of blood disorders, um, digestive issues, diabetic um, patients, obviously, if their numbers are not regulated, it can affect their gum tissue. So you just kind of always have to be on your feet and think outside of the box if something doesn't respond to treatment the way that you expect it to. So. I'm one of perhaps some of the few people that enjoys going to the dentist for cleanings. I don't want to go to the dentist for a root canal. Nobody wants that, but I like to have my teeth clean because when it rolls around before I get my teeth cleaned, I just, I know I need it. And, and it feels so much better after I get my teeth cleaned. I unfortunately have to get it done at least three times a year. Sometimes I contemplate getting it done four times a year. Okay, so that's my body chemistry, I suppose. I have a good friend of mine that is above the age of 60. They have strong, beautiful, straight, white teeth. This person has been to the dentist maybe three or four times in their life. Now, riddle me this, Batman. <laughs> what is going on? What is, what is my problem? What is their good fortune? It's not a problem um, for you because you have. You are coming in and getting the calculus, the tartar, removed. So it doesn't as cause regularly any regularly as I yep. can. Um, this person, everybody has different bacteria in their mouth different percentages of different things and so some people just really don't get the tartar buildup no matter how well or poorly their home care is and then some people just really battle with it um, and it's the same thing with some people that it's usually there's you usually either have one or the other some people fight with 
periodontal disease and not decay. Some people fight with decay, but not the gums. So it just depends. And everybody's just different with their bacteria in their mouth. And unfortunately, a lot of it is just that. So he's just lucky, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. I guess so. I want to revisit this seminar program that you went to, or perhaps more than one, we'll find out. I know that in my industry as an illustrator for many, many years, we had this culture of recognition and whether you get published in a certain awards book, whether you get a medal for that, whether you, you know, uh, get it, there was communication arts, society of illustrators, all my illustrator friends know exactly what I'm talking about. Chefs Mm -hmm. do it cooks do it Uh, obviously there's the emmys and the oscars so every culture has their own way of getting more information and quality information out there so what can tell what can you tell us about um when you were meeting i think the first one you said was in st louis so what happened there so the office that i worked for at the time um, the doctor was a member of crown council and so that's kind of where it starts that's an elite group of doctors with that we went to st louis and i was taking a seminar with pat wooster called mission possible hygiene that is where i spoke to her first just in the hallway on a break probably at the water fountain told her my story about the patient that came in and i recognized that they might be diabetic and not know it she thought that was really great especially because i had only been out of school for less than two years so that was a really big deal to me that I got to talk one-on-one with her and then she went back in to the seminar and told the whole class about that so that was really neat um and then I went back to work for a few months and then um Dr. Beckett asked me if I wanted to go to another seminar in Texas and he said that I really needed to go and I was thinking oh another seminar so I went to Texas. Meaning and you would probably enjoy it, but you were kind of dreading leaving again. I was again like, oh, and, well, I mean, I was, you know, in my 20s. So my weekends at all these dental seminars, I probably had the things that I thought was more important to do. But, you know, that was then when I was much younger. Went to the dental seminar and this was another Crown Council meeting, I believe, in Houston. And they did, they were doing some type of awards that I I wasn't aware of when I signed up to go. And I got recognized um, in January of 2006 just for the work that I had done in periodontally, in this periodontal program for the dental hygiene program of this office. We had just really turned it around. I guess it was not what it was. And we were getting patients to accept treatment, getting patients to understand what was going on and having a lot of success. So that was one of the biggest highlights for me because there was a lot of doctors there and I don't know the exact number, but I got put on a stage, recognized for the work I had done for Dr. Beckett. And then again, Pat Wooster was there. She came on the stage and she gave me a certificate to um, come train with her in Florida. And she was basically waiving the cost. And I know it was a few thousand dollars for me to the tuition. So she weighed the tuition. Crown Council paid for my airfare. They sent me to Florida to go train with Pat. And it was just like, I was just in, I guess, in the right office at the right time where they really appreciated my thirst and my desire to know more about my profession and to get better and be better for my practice and my patients and my doctor. You were obviously very proactive and you just didn't say, well, you know, I got this uh, cushy job out of college. I think I'll just sit back and, uh, you know, do what I have to do to get by. Obviously, you were doing way more than that. And, and I can hear the passion I was in your driven, voice. Definitely yeah. driven. I wanted, I wanted to be the best or the best I could be. And I wanted to be able to give the best treatment to my patients. And I wanted to create an experience for my patients that was better than what they anticipated, better than what they expected. Um, I know a lot of people don't love going to the dentist, but we do actually have a lot of patients that are like, they love coming here. They um, used to cancel their patients or their appointments because they said, 
their cleaning used to be uncomfortable somewhere else or wherever. So, but it shouldn't be. The technique has a lot to do with a patient's um, experience. So I just wanted to start creating all these positive experiences for people when they'd had negative experiences in the past and help them save their teeth and keep their teeth because that's very important just for overall health in general. Okay, uh, I've had a negative experience with, um, I call it the deep cleaning. Mm -hmm. You call it root scaling? Scaling and root planing, deep cleaning, same okay. thing. Yep. Okay, I went to someone that did that because I had neglected my teeth for a while. It was, it was terribly painful. It was horrifying. I mean, I was in agony the whole time. I was in agony for a week after that. It was a very bad experience. And I thought, well, I guess I really got those suckers clean because it sure feels like they took, you know, half of my skull out of my head. <laughs> it came around that I had to do the next quadrant mm -hmm. or the next section. And I just thought, oh my goodness. Oh man. I, I mean, I probably did cancel it at, at least once because I just dreaded it so much. Yeah. And um, I, I finally just thought, okay, I have to go, I have to get this out. And I went in and there was a different hygienist that did that root, root planing. Scaling and root planing. Scaling and root planing. See, I can't even remember That's what okay. it is. And the experience was the polar opposite from the first time I did it. I wasn't in pain. I didn't have lingering pain that went on for days like it did previously. And that hygienist was you. <laughs> it was you, me. You did not hurt me. I mean, I had no idea who you were. Right. And that was a long time ago. You, you were the new kid I you was. Know, in the office. And I thought, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what's going on here? So can you explain that to me? <clears throat> why one person, um, and, and I understand that there were other complaints. I wasn't the only one. So I'm not trying to pinpoint anyone in particular. Right. I'm just saying there are people that have the technical ability or the physical ability to do it sure. in a in a much more humane way. Right. I you said you were with the first appointment. Maybe you were feeling the procedure. So the most important thing, or the first important thing, is to make sure the patient is numb. So that in itself is a good point to start with after effects i technique directly affects how the patient feels after the appointment um, the technique uh, well tell us what <coughs> I, I hate to get too technical in case there's anybody squeamish out there but right. what are you doing when you're when you're doing this procedure well we are we're working under the gum below the gum line on the roots of the teeth and it's a very small space and we, everyone knows, or they, I would assume that the teeth are in bone. So your instrument is either up against the tooth, removing what's not supposed to be there, or it's kind of on the bone, which could be damaging the bone, could be, I guess, layman's upsetting the bone, making it unhappy, um, which in turn could definitely make you sore after the procedure. Um, it could be painful. I've been doing this for 15 years and I've had one patient come back and say that, that she was uncomfortable afterwards. And she was a very, very um, severe case. She hadn't been to the dentist for, it was more than 30 years. So we ended up having, the disease itself was even in the bone on some teeth because the infections were not just in the gums it was in the teeth so we did a lot of extractions also but that's my one patient that's my one patient and so when I tell people that and they've only been away for five years like there's just less infection there's less buildup and that's kind of my point of reference that 99.9% .9 of the time I can guarantee that this is almost going to feel better it's like a, a scratch that you couldn't itch or it's like having a splinter under your skin like it just feels better to get it removed and to get that irritant out of your body and your gums can be nice and healthy and not bleed not be sore not be tender um but definitely it is it is very technique sensitive and it's it's difficult you guys always have to make sure that the pressure from your instrument and the blade is adapted correctly to the side of the tooth and it's not removing bone it's removing tartar off of the roots and only 
the tartar and not damaging the tooth. How do you learn that? Because you can't see it. That is true. It's all by feel. You have to know what the tartar feels like, what the bone feels like, what the tooth feels like when it's clean, but not too smooth. We don't want to remove root structure. By so, by pulling or dragging the instrument over the that side, part of the, the blade, truth, mm-hmm. the tooth, not truth. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and that was one thing that I did get to focus on when I was training, basically one on one or one of ten other hygienists that got to train with Pat in Florida. She was over my shoulder, moving my instrument. Do you feel this? That is tooth. Do you feel this? Yes. That is bone. Know the difference. I do know the difference. So it's a good thing to know. Can you describe to me what bone feels like as opposed to the root of a tooth? Like if I, if I had this instrument in my hand. I'm not the, sure is, if I could put it into words. Is the bone rougher or softer, smoother? And if you can't, you can't. I, I'm, I'm not I'm sure just, if I can put it into words. Okay. I don't know. I've never even... I don't think I've ever thought about it. But, but this person that. training you said, yes. here, feel that? And she moved my instrument. This is, this is bone. Okay. She moved my instrument. Feel that. That is tooth. And did it just like click in your head right away? I was away? like, I feel the difference. You're like, whoa, yeah. okay. Now, does everybody get that information? Or, and if not, why not? I'm not sure if I know okay. the answer to that. Okay. Because I... It I sounds mean, like great was, information to have. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yes, I, everybody should definitely have that information if possible. Maybe that was the difference in my first procedure right. as opposed to and you just, the second time. I just do my best to be, be very light-handed. It is, it is very easy to become heavy-handed, I think, as a hygienist. But I just try to be very aware um, of just pressure. Like just even when I'm fulcruming or resting um, my hand or a finger on maybe another tooth or your jaw to where I, as I'm to where I'm working just to make sure the pressure is light because it really only takes a few grams of pressure to remove calculus off of a tooth if the instrument is adapted correctly to the tooth and it's the blade is sharp. So, so adapted to the tooth, that means the mm-hmm. angle. Mm-hmm. You, you got to get your angles the right. angle of the blade, okay. yes. And then there's Whoa. different instruments. Or if you're working below the gum line or above the gum line, they're shaped differently. Or a front tooth or a posterior tooth, a molar or a premolar, those instruments are shaped differently because they adapt a different way to the tooth. So... And you can tell when all the calculus and tartar is gone by just feeling it feels like a smooth tooth instead of a bumpy tooth? Yes, there's no, I guess sometimes if you took, this is the easiest way to describe it, if you take floss and you floss in between your teeth, if you feel a click, not the contact. Once Mm. you get through the contact, you're flossing, you like, if it clicks, that's an easy way to feel tartar. I also am probably a little overboard, but I do check a lot of my, Scaling and root planing cases, I take an x-ray after just to make sure it's gone because I want to see that. And then I like to show my patients, this is your before x-ray and calculus looks like a thorn on a rose, but on a tooth. So a little thorn. So then we look at all those little thorns of calculus and then we look at the clean, beautiful, smooth roots. <laughs> and I, It's fun. I like to show the before and after. Is calculus... Does it grow like a crystal or is it just like a big lump of junk that grows there because um, of what, depends. bacteria or? It starts with a biofilm of bacteria and then um, plaque forms, plaque takes. It can form as, in as quickly as six hours and calculus can, plaque can calcify and turn into calculus in as quickly as 24 hours. So you miss a spot once or twice while you're brushing or you don't floss and if you form calculus or tartar quickly or plaque, that's why I think they say generally, if you brush three times a day, it's every six hours, maybe, depending on how much sleep you get. But nobody really brushes, <laughs> nobody really brushes three times a day. And nobody flosses like 10% of the population. So that's why gum disease is so prevalent. It's 75% of the population has dealt with some type of gum disease at one point in time in their life. We just try to create positive experiences so it's fun to come to the dentist and it's pleasant and it's not painful it's not uncomfortable and you get to walk out 
and tell your friends at work that you love your dentist and your hygienist? I do that. <laughs> <laughs> I do that. I believe you. How much communication goes on either while you're doing a procedure or before you're doing the procedure? How much do you think you need to explain to people? Um, I first always ask how much they want to know. If they're okay, I ask for permission to explain the procedure. If it's just a regular cleaning, I don't go into as much detail, but I will still, if it's a new patient and it's my first time with them, I want them to be comfortable. I ask them about their past experiences. That's a really good place to start with people in dental situations because a lot of people have had a situation that created a negative experience. So I want to know what it was about that experience that made it negative. Was it the shot? Was it the sounds? Was it the feeling? I just start there. So, um, if it's a patient who is going through the scaling and replaining or the deep cleaning, um, I try to explain everything that it's going to be a two um, appointment procedure. We work on half of the mouth at a time. We numb the gum tissue. Um, this is why we do these things for your comfort. Um, I explain that everyone has a choice. We don't kidnap our patients. You don't have to do what I tell you to do or what I recommend or what doctor recommends. Um, we talk about the pros and cons. We talk about the long-term effects of periodontal disease and everything else that it can affect because it affects so many things in your body. And you're not doing this to <clears throat> scare people or no. shame people. You're doing I it. I never shame people. Like someone can come and sit in, and I think that's why a lot of people don't go to the dentist because somebody, <laughs> I feel like our profession <laughs> in general is very bad at shaming people like about flossing just if you don't floss you don't floss but you know what if you come see me four or five times a year for your cleanings i can help you keep keep your gums healthy we can help you keep your teeth long term most people don't floss i don't shame people if you most people are already ashamed if it's been years since they went to an office they sit in my chair and i ask them kindly i do you know when your last checkup was and you're cleaning oh i don't even know it's head immediately drops. It's probably been like five years. I'm like, congratulations, you are at the dentist today, you know? And there's nothing that we can't take care of because there's usually more than one way to treat things that need to be restored or repaired dentally. So I think I try to just be like, don't worry, it's fine. We've seen it all. There's nothing that's going on that we can't fix or that we can't come up with a game plan that you're comfortable with. So you so, really consciously try. try to spin things in a positive way and, and make it a positive experience as opposed to... From the moment that I bring them back. And yeah. I always ask permission for everything that I do. I also lower my chair when I'm talking to people. So no one wants someone sitting above them, standing over them, talking at them. I lower my chair and I talk to you and I listen. You talked about giving shots a little bit of go. Yeah. Hopefully this isn't really scaring squeamish people that may be listening <laughs> because it's all it's all just information to me yes i have had people give me shots that were extremely difficult to take and extremely painful mm -hmm. and then there was this guy <laughs> and i called him dr zen with a needle right because this guy could give me shots i hardly felt like i was getting a shot there'd be that little little bee sting mm -hmm. at the very beginning and then it just got it just like melted away <laughs> and then i just you know saw his it, practically his arm disappearing into my mouth you know <laughs> pushing that needle further and further and further but i didn't i was just i was okay with it so how come some people give great shots and other people don't i do know the person that you're speaking of specifically and i do know some of his techniques and i can speak to the fact that i know and i adopted some of those also, a lot of it has to do... I'm glad for all your patients yes. <laughs> that, that he taught you whatever it is that right. he was doing. One of the things is if you how quickly the anesthetic is pushed through the syringe into your mouth. That affects kind of a lot of it. If it's dispensed quickly, sometimes it creates more of the immediate pressure and a burn or a sting. And I know he was very slow to dispense that. I also know that he kind of went in with a smaller gauge needle halfway 
dispense the anesthetic and let that set and let that numb and then and that's an extra step and I it was probably created a little more time but he that was very important to him so then when he had to give the bad block injection that nobody likes that numbs the lower teeth like half of the mouth is what people are usually accustomed to feeling he would go back in with the larger needle which he really needed to get the complete block of that nerve but you'd already be practically numb through the tissue so you wouldn't feel it he was we all want <laughs> to be numb right yes <laughs> but yes. he was so good he at took getting his time me there. yes and it was uh it was far more pleasant yes yes and i do silly things like um and it's just things that i remember like i don't like the taste of things dentally when i if ever had work done like the topical numbing gel it runs down your throat it's gross no it feels like your throat is numb it's, oh, it's an awful feeling you feel like you can't swallow i always like kind of protect where i place my topical gel with a two by two gauze of cotton so it stays right there where it's supposed to and it numbs really well and it doesn't run down your throat that's Hallelujah. just me though no <laughs> see that's that's the art of what you do yeah that uh, there's little things that you're never going to read in a book mm-hmm. may not learn in school but you have this group of people you have this culture that you're in i mean we all you know there's a there's a an art culture there's a tattoo culture there's a surfer culture and right. i'm sure there is a dental hygiene culture because you're telling me about it and you're you're illustrating very well what that is yeah i really just like to treat people i I work on them like how i would want to be worked on so they look just the same as when they came in nothing's messed up (laughs) and they had a great experience so you have you deal with empathy yes a lot i feel like i'm very empathetic and i always want to figure out why someone had a bad experience because I just, I just hate that for people because everyone has to go to the dentist eventually because even if you try to avoid it something's probably going to happen that forces you to go because you're in that much discomfort so um and everyone has a little bit different of a quirk maybe or something that happened that just really caused them to have a bad experience so just try to get to the root of that gather information can you all right now when you're working on someone's teeth i know you you wear goggles that have magnifiers built into the center right so you're really concentrating on the mouth can you pick up on body language or ticks in their face like whoops that that hurt that person or i wonder if they're uncomfortable how much do you communicate and and pick up on those things i ask frequently and it's funny because i have this a system especially if it's you know somebody i'm working on that's new i probably ask a little bit more frequently but i always work on x amount of teeth stop like do a rinse (laughs) and maybe do a little bit more and then ask are you doing okay but i am very conscious of facial movements um of hands placements are your hands relaxed are your fists and your knuckles turning white i i really do watch everything and i ask i do ask frequently just to make sure they're doing okay and or if there's any you know areas that have been uncomfortable before that i will be careful and i also know by what i'm doing if it there's a potential for it to be uncomfortable so i always check with the patient that way too and just try to pay attention but yes with wearing the surgical loops you are your field of vision is very localized to um just a few teeth so we can see much better what we're doing. But I definitely do kind of peek outside my peripheral window and check eyes. And if they're just laid back watching TV and hands are relaxed, then we're good. So, but I check in for sure. What did you call the device that you wear? They're surgical loops. Surgical loops. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, like a, like a jeweler's loop. Yeah. Where, you know, in the old movies, some guy would pull it out of his pocket and, you know, squint and look at a diamond or whatever. Right. So these are just uh, magnifiers that let you... And you have, there's a light on your Yes, we have also. lights. Um, instead of the overhead lights, and as simple as it sounds, and I tell people this, when we had the lights overhead, you're, you're constantly grabbing the light, adjusting it for if the patient moves. But it's so amazing how when the light's on your head, it illuminates exactly where you're looking. Tell me a little bit more about your 
eyewear, the surgical loops. Okay, when we got, I actually got fitted and measured for my loops, which um, just makes them custom to me where I sit, approximately how how long my arms are, where my field of vision is directly for um, the the focal point to be um, Which is magnified. someone's mouth or right. a tooth or how many right. teeth do you see at once basically two or three yeah four or five it just kind of depends on where i'm sitting because i can move a little bit too and it changes so so if i went into your um what do you call your room where you work operatory okay laboratory operatory operatory mm-hmm. okay an op. yeah an op okay if i went <laughs> back into your op and you got in the chair and I put on your surgical loops, it's yeah. not going to be right because I'm taller than you, my arms are longer, my eyes are different, the, you know, the, my skull is a different size. Mm-hmm. So those really, that's a, a, a precise piece of equipment. Yes. And I have put on somebody else's before and it's just, it's blurry where I want to work from. So that's why mine are measured specifically to where So you'd have I to move sit. in or move yes, back or exactly. something up and down. Exactly. Okay. And then you would probably get a headache or <laughs> get tired or it would bother your eyes eventually. So, yeah. Okay. So you've been doing this roughly 15 years, mm-hmm. give or take. What kind of changes in technology, if any, have you witnessed? On the dental hygiene side, there hasn't been a whole lot of changes um, besides they now use lasers sometimes instead of just like the ultrasonic which a lot of people don't they know it's the vibrating tool that makes kind of the funny noise sometimes they use lasers when they're doing the scaling and root planing but there's been a lot of changes on the restorative side more for the dentist Um, because with teeth and calculus and removing calculus and plaque off of teeth there's you just have to mechanically remove it. You just have to get it off the tooth. Then there's a few tools that make it easier to come off or remove. Um, they've made our instruments a little bit bigger in diameter to help with avoiding carpal tunnel. The instruments used to be very skinny, very slim. So they're bigger. Um, they are always coming out with specialty instruments that are maybe specifically for the backside of the second molar, which is like the distal of the second molar or specifically for third molars. But at the end of the day, you just have to scale the tartar and the calculus off. But they've tried to make the instruments better ergonomically. So it's better for your hands. And I want you as comfortable as you can be when you are (laughs) working on my teeth or someone else's teeth. And the, uh, everybody that listens to these podcasts, knows that one of my favorite words is qi. It's a Chinese word that means the energy of the task, the energy of the job. Yes. And, and I'm sure you probably think of that too. I mean, absolutely. I always, I mean, there's a lot, um, to be said about how someone speaks and like the tone and kind of the energy of your voice even. And I think that's, even those little things are really important with dentistry and just patient communication and patient education i always just try to be very understanding and i just want them i just tell them we're we're just a resource i'm i'm here to be your dental guide and give you all the information to um fix anything that's wrong and go over any of the details procedures that they need to know but at the end of the day they're they're your teeth and you get to do whatever you would like to with them we're just here to help you if you need us or if you let us both so yeah, definitely. Energy is, is big. Um, a, a nice, relaxed atmosphere, which I think we get that compliment a lot at this office. It's very relaxed. No pressure. Just here to take care of you. How many of your patients do you think expect a very positive experience when they come in? If they've been here before or new patients? That's a better question. <laughs> <laughs> I think people that have been coming to this office, I think they do have... I mean, it's just no big deal to come into this office and get work done. It's just, it's, it's easy. The biggest compliment from patients, well, there's a couple, but one of them is they are at work or they come in for their appointment. They sit down. Hi, how are you doing? You know, we, we chat. And I remember this patient recently specifically saying I was at my 
work and I said oh I have to go to the dentist and of course everybody else around her co-workers are like oh my god I hate going to my dentist and she's like well you're going to the wrong dentist <laughs> you don't have my dentist in my dentist I love going to get my teeth cleaned I love going to this office so that is that's what we're going for it shouldn't be a big deal it we're just trying to create positive experiences for people because there are so many negative experiences out there when it comes to going to the dentist Many, many times I've said, uh, no, wait a minute. Uh, no, I, I can't do it on that day. I'm going to the dentist. And they go, ooh. Right. Uh, and I'm like, no, no, That's no. That's everyone's reaction. I'm I like, hate that. <laughs> I said, I don't know. I'm this weird guy, but I love going to the dentist because <laughs> when it's time, it's time. And I feel so much better. Right. And it's, a, it's an easy experience. And there's no problem. And then they always say, oh, really? Or uh, who's your dentist? Or whatever. And I'm like, well, just like you said. <laughs> you are going to the wrong place. Right. If, we have um, a lot of patients that say that. Well, you need to come to my dentist then. So. Oh, I've, I've been a heavy <laughs> recruiter for, for many years. Anyway. We definitely appreciate that. So to take a couple of minutes and crystallize this conversation, you are saying, and I, I shouldn't speak for you, but basically you're saying going to the dentist should be a positive experience. You should feel good when you get done and it should be pain-free or at least have the smallest amount of discomfort. So what if there are people out there that their dentist does not fit any of those criteria? Well, they need to come to Love to Smile Anexa and we'll take good care of them. They need to at least explore other options. Definitely. Um, I have a few patients that experience that wherever they were before. They used to joke, hey, your cleanings today, are you gonna cancel? I have, she specifically told me some days I just could not bring myself to go to the dentist that day. It was that uncomfortable for a cleaning. Her and her husband would joke, hey, did you take your ibuprofen today? It should not be like that. And now it's not, and she never cancels, and she looks forward to her cleanings, and we have a great rapport. That is my favorite thing about being a hygienist creating positive experiences for people, building rapport with my patients, and basically a friendship and having good trust because of the work that we provide. Well, thank you for sharing all this great information, great stories. Uh, I loved hearing about your advanced training and what you learned from it. And I'm really, uh, it was very interesting to hear about the mental side of this and the little tiny artistic things that you do to make the patient experience much better. Absolutely. And that's, that's better for you too. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks, Gina.